This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Amen. Thanks, Luke. We'll open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 5. It has been such a joy to walk through the book of 1 Peter with you guys uh, this summer. And next Sunday, we're going to be moving on to a new series, uh, five, a series of five sermons. Who's your one? Um, but it has been a blessing uh, to walk through living hope. And today we're talking about hope and humility. Humility is kind of the theme that winds its way through this final chapter chapter of First Peter. So we're going we're gonna to read all of chapter 5. It's 14 verses, but, but really <clears throat> we're going to focus on verses 5 through 11 this morning. But let's read the whole chapter together. Stand in honor of God's word as we, as we do that. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world." The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we get ready to dig into your word right now, we pray that we would have postures of humility, humble hearts before you, that um, we would be more mindful each of us more mindful of our own sins and shortcomings than anybody else's uh, in this room or beyond. <laughs> we, we pray that we would be humbled before you uh, and just um, aware of our great need for your grace, knowing that you delight in giving grace to the humble. So, Lord, make us humble that we would be ready to receive that grace that you delight to give this morning through your word and by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, Melissa and I began our, our ministry journey in Windsor, North Carolina, which is about the same size as, as Windsor, Virginia, except for we didn't even live in the town of Windsor. We lived out in the field, out in the, out in the country. Um, and little, little tiny uh, country church, and, and uh, we had a, a great ministry there. But, you know, in that church, there was an, an opponent and you know, in a little country church like that, I mean, just, just one opponent is pretty significant, but you know, and he, and he was kind of at our heels the whole time, but nevertheless, we had a good ministry there, and, and uh, after about three and a half years, we were called to a, a much larger multi-staff church on the peninsula, and I soon uh, discovered that uh, that opponent had come north with us. He had had a job transfer to the peninsula, and uh, there he was, not only on the peninsula, but, but, but in that church, it was me. <laughs> you know, often our greatest opponents are not the stuff that's outside of us, but the stuff that is inside of us our sinful nature, and, and bound up inseparably in our sinful nature is pride. And so Peter devotes really this last chapter of his letter to the, the theme of, of, of humility. And so actually what he's doing here is he's talking about really three opponents that we face in the Christian life. Two of them are internal and one of them is external. The two internal opponents that he's talking about that we have to deal with, one, one would be our pride, uh, the other would be worry, anxiety, and then the, the external opponent that we all deal with is, is the devil. And so he's going to show us in this chapter how to deal with all three of those opponents. Um, first of all, our pride, okay? Dealing with uh, pride. Um, he begins in chapters, in verses one through four, and he's talking about, uh, about elders, about pastors, and he, he's calling for us certainly to, to, to model humility, but then he quickly transitions in verse 5, to, to, to all of you. And so he says in, in, verse, in verse, the latter part of verse 5, he says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Um, Tom Schreiner, uh, the New Testament scholar whose commentary has been such a blessing in walking through First Peter says this, Schreiner says, humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. Well, that's not only the case inside the church, the family of God, that's the case in, in, in any family. It's the case in marriage, in the relationships between husbands and wives. It's the case on any team that you're on, whether it's your team at work or an athletic team or any other kind of team. It's the case among friendships. 
if, if people have humility, then they can work through anything. And if they don't have humility, it's impossible to work your way through anything. So much of that comes down to whether we have a, a, a humble spirit and we recognize our own sins and our shortcomings first. With that, you know, uh, you can work your way through everything. Without it, it's impossible to work through anything in, in relationships. And so, Peter says here in verse 5, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Lay aside the wardrobe of, of pride and arrogance and, and, and put on a, a new wardrobe of, of, of humility. And listen, we need to understand that, that pride uh, not only is, is toxic to our relationships with other people, but to our, our relationship with the Lord. Because what does he say here at, at the end of, of, of verse 5? He's quoting here a verse from the Old Testament. And he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, Peter is quoting here from Proverbs 3.34. James does the same thing. In James 4.6, James also quotes from Proverbs 3. God resists the proud. In other words, God opposes. God sets his face against the proud. If we're taking an attitude of, of, of pride, we are putting ourselves in a position that God cannot bless he cannot bless it. He's opposed to it. He resists it. He sets his face against it. That's just not the posture that we want to be in. Uh, this is a, a picture of kind of one of the ocean's most interesting creatures. This is the, the puffer fish, sometimes called a blowfish. And they have the ability to puff themselves up to far beyond their normal size, kind of a defense mechanism against predators. And... Uh, it's kind of a cute little creature, but don't be deceived. There is enough poison inside one of these little guys to kill like 30 humans. They're toxic. When we are puffed up with pride, it is toxic to relationships with other people and to our relationship with the Lord. God resists the proud, but look at verse five again. He gives grace to the humble. When we will lower ourselves, God delights in lifting us up. He delights in, in, in pouring on grace to those who have a posture, a heart of humility toward him and toward others. And so when we think about a prideful spirit, it's a lose-lose. It's a lose as far as relationships with other people. It's a lose as far as relationship with the Lord. When you think about humility, it is a win-win. 
It is a win when it comes to getting along with other people. It is a, a win in our relationship with the Lord. This is why the great preacher, the late John Stott, once said that in every stage of the Christian life, that pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your greatest friend. And so the first opponent that Peter talks about dealing with here is, is pride, dealing with pride. Second, dealing with worry. Dealing with, with worry. Worry, anxiety, that's another internal opponent that we, that we have to wrestle with. Let's check out verses six and seven. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Now often we hear verse 7 quoted in isolation. Cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares about you. And listen, it's a great verse just on its own, right? But if we quote it in isolation without verse 6, we miss something that's very important. Because here in Uh, in the English, and it's properly rendered here in the CSB and in the original Greek, verses six and seven is one sentence. One sentence and one unit of thought. And so we should read it like that. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. And so here's the the thinking here. Here's, here's Here's what the Bible is saying here. Part of humbling yourself before God is casting your cares upon God. Let's say it again. Part of humbling yourself before God is casting your cares, your worries, your burdens, your anxieties upon God. Now, now, why is that humility? Because when, when, we, when we have a, a burden, a care, a worry, okay, and we say, God, I am incapable of dealing with this. I cannot, de- I cannot deal with this. I am incapable of dealing with this, but I know that you are more than capable. <laughs> and so, therefore, I am putting this in your hands. That is humility. That is humility. And God delights in that. God is honored by your trust in him. God is honored and he delights when you humble yourself and when you give your cares and your burdens to him. Right? Conversely, the other direction you know, if we, if we hold on to those cares and those burdens because really we don't trust the Lord to deal with them, that's prideful. That's pride and that is, that's, that's dishonoring to God. That is wounding to God when we, when we do that. Um, again, I think Tom Schreiner is right on when he, when he says humility also manifests itself in handing over our worries to God. And hence it follows that worry is a form of pride. 
Worry constitutes fraud since it denies the care of a sovereign God. The antidote to worry is believing in and resting in God's care of believers. Believers humble themselves by casting their worries on God. Conversely, if believers continue to worry, then they are caving into pride. How can anxiety and worry be criticized as pride? We can see that it might be a lack of faith, but does it make, it make sense to identify worry as pride? Worry is a form of pride because when believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced that they must solve all the problems in their lives in their own strength. The only God they trust in is themselves. But when believers throw their worries upon God, they express their trust in his mighty hand, acknowledging that he is Lord and sovereign over all of life. <clears throat> I remember um, some years ago when I was pastoring at, at Bethel and I was out to lunch with, uh, with our, the guy who was our deacon chairman at the time, Dave Ankeny, and he and I were very close friends. And uh, I was kind of venting <laughs> today about some stuff in the church and just kind of going on and on. And it's like, oh, we got this to deal with and, and this. And, you know, just some of the stuff pastors go, go through. And, and uh, you know, I was just kind of, kind of letting it all out there. And we could do that. We had that kind of a friendship um, and we had the kind of closeness to where he, you know, he could, he could, he could give a godly rebuke, which we, he was about to do, um, and uh, because he noticed that in all of my in all of my complaining about these things, there was probably a noticeable lack of references to the Lord in all of this. And so, you know, as I'm venting, at one point, Dave just kind of gently stops me, um, and he says, "Hey." Uh, Thurman, uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I, want, I hate to interrupt for a second, but um, I, I think I missed something. At what point did God stop being God? <laughs> that was what I needed to hear at that moment, right? I, I, I needed to, my vision of who God was needed to be refreshed, God was more than capable of dealing with these things. I needed to trust, cast my cares upon, upon him. Um, so listen, before we leave this subject of anxiety, I do wanna, I wanna say this because I'm aware that certainly in a, in a crowd of this size, there are some of you in this room who, who deal with more than just kind of ordinary anxieties and, and worries. There's some of you here, I'm, I'm sure, uh, that deal with you know, real depression, clinical depression, or maybe some uh, anxiety uh, disorder, and, and it's kind of, it's, it's, there's, there's a medical issue that's going on, uh, and you've been diagnosed with that, you may even take medication for that. Listen, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to ever feel less of a Christian for doing that. I don't want you to ever feel less spiritual for doing that. Because every medical advance is ultimately, ultimately it reflects God's glory. He has enabled it. 
you know, to happen. So if we're going to utilize medication for, you know, for medical needs, if there's been something that's been diagnosed like that, I don't want you to feel like you're less of a believer for doing that. But, but listen, wherever you are, wherever you are on the scale, whether you deal with kind of the, the you know, the normal worries and anxieties that, that all of us deal with, or whether it's something more, learning to cast your cares upon the Lord will be a balm to your soul. And why can you do that? What does the Bible say? Cast your cares upon the Lord because what? Because he cares about you. Because he loves you. And he is sovereign and he is more than capable of dealing with whatever it is. And he loves you. And he says, I'll take it. And we can know that he loves us. We can know that he cares about us. Because there's an old rugged cross and an empty tomb that proves it. Give it to him. Dealing with worry. Now we get to the external opponent, dealing with the evil one, right? Dealing with the, the devil. And Peter uh, begins to talk about that in verse 8. What does he say? Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So C.S. Lewis, who wrote one of the great books on spiritual warfare, the Screwtape Letters, once said that, that we can make two mistakes when it comes to our thinking about the, the devil. Um, one is to make too much of him, uh, to kind of be, you know, too, too obsessed uh, with the devil. That, that's, we don't want to be obsessed with him. You know, as we began the service, Josh read Psalm 27, which says, we want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. It's Christ and his beauty that we want to fixate on, not the enemy. But we do need to be aware of the enemy. So that one mistake would be to think about him too much. The other mistake would be to disbelieve in his existence. Well, here's a newsflash for you. He exists. <laughs> he exists. He's real. And furthermore, he is not kind of the cartoonish figure that he is depicted as being in lots of medieval art, you know, with kind of, you know, tight red pajamas and a pitchfork. No. He is a malevolent, spiritual being. And Peter says here in verse 8 that he is out to devour you. So how do we deal with that? What, what should be our mindset? Well, Peter tells us, doesn't he? He says, be sober-minded, be alert. I mentioned Bethel a couple of minutes ago. Well, another one of our deacons at Bethel was a guy named Ray Abisher, godly man. Um, and Ray was one of the, the army rangers that parachuted into Nazi-occupied France the night before 
D-Day. He was in the 101st Airborne. He was one of the, the guys, if you've ever seen Band of Brothers, um, Ray was, Ray was uh, a, a part of that same, that same di- division. In fact, Stephen Ambrose in his book on D-Day uh, has a couple of pages about, about Ray. And if you've seen Band of Brothers, one of the French towns that, they, that the parachuters, uh, paratroopers uh, uh, landed in was St. Miraglis. And Ray Abisher parachuted literally, he landed right in the town square <laughs> of this little town, which was filled with Nazis. And these guys had been shot at from the time that they, uh, they ejected from the planes, they were shot at. All the way down. Can you imagine? Can you imagine landing behind enemy lines where the enemy is just all around? What would, what would your sense of awareness be? Oh, it, you would be on a knife edge of alertness. And so... What, what Peter is saying here in verse eight is that you know, we've got an enemy. He wants to blow us up, right? He's into destroying lives, destroying families, destroying churches, on and on, anything he can do. Be alert, be aware, right? You, we can't afford to put our spiritual lives in, in cruise control because the enemy is real. And he's looking for anyone that he can devour. So how do we deal with that? Our mindset is alertness. What else? Verse nine. He says, resist him firm in the faith. So much of spiritual warfare comes down to unbelief. Are we going to believe God or not? And so when the enemy comes to us, for example, when he comes to us just bombarding us with kind of negativity and just kind of assaulting us with uh, stuff that's meant to discourage us, we have a choice at that point. You know, and, and the choice is either to believe the, the enemy or to believe the promises of God. When the enemy comes at us with temptation, We have a choice in that moment of temptation that we can believe the lies of the enemy or we can believe God that there is going to be more, ultimately more pleasure in not sinning than in sinning. Because Psalm 16 says in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. The real pleasures are found in obedience, We've got, to, we've got to believe God's promises to be able to, to see through that and to resist the devil's lie. So a lot of this comes down to, to, to trusting God, to being firm in the, in the, in the faith. And now also in, in verse nine, Peter comes back to a theme that we've seen again and again in this letter, and it's the theme of suffering. Knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. We've talked about before that the original readers of 1 Peter were persecuted, suffering believers in the province of Asia. And so they were living in a world without internet, without any kind of modern communication. 
And I'm sure it was a temptation for them to think, you know, we're the only ones who are going through what we're going through. Well, Peter knew better. (laughs) Peter was an apostle. He had traveled widely. He knew, no, what you're going through is not unique. (laughs) You are not alone. Now, your fellow believers throughout the world are going through the same kinds of things. And sometimes in our trials... That's one of the lies that Satan throws at us, right? Is that, hey, you're the only one, right? And yet, so do you feel isolated? You're not isolated. And you're not alone, right? This is part of life in this fallen world. It's part of your calling as a believer. But but then what does he say? This is also part of your calling. And now in verses 10 and 11, he gives us this beautiful benediction, The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while to him be dominion forever. Amen. In other words, remember who God is. He is the God of all grace. And remember what he's done for you. He called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Ultimately, you didn't choose him. He chose you. And so that being the case, do you really think he's going to let go of you now? He's not going to let go. Oh, I love Romans 8, 31 and, and 32. The Bible, uh, the Bible says there, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? You see, God's greatest gift includes all of his lesser gifts. And so if he's already given you the greatest thing, which is his son, don't you think he's going to take care of the rest? He's got it. He's got it. Because he's got you. You're his child. And he called you by his grace and he is holding on to you by his grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for First Peter. Thank you for um, just such an encouraging book that just reminds us of who you are, uh, rem- gives us such a fresh vision of the, of the gospel. Um, and so, Father, we, we, we thank you that um, you, are, you are more than sufficient um, for dealing with opponents internal and external. Father, we thank you that you're dealing uh, with our sin nature. Uh, We're all in process. None of us has arrived, but slowly but surely, you, by the power of your spirit, are transforming us from the inside out. And Father, we pray that you uh, would just increasingly make us um, people who walk before you and before others with with humility, and that you would just uh, deal with with, um, with pride in our lives. Lord, just make us more humble. 
before you and before others, genuine humility. Uh, Father, we, we pray that you would, uh, would deal with the opponent of, of worry and anxiety, that we would learn to truly cast our cares upon you, knowing how much that you care about us. And Lord, we know that you are so much greater than the evil one. <laughs> may, we, may we be reminded of that. And, and may we stay close to you, close to you. Uh, Lord, we know he can't touch us when we are close to, to Christ because Christ is, is, is so much greater. Father, I pray for anyone here today um, just in, who, who's just d- dealing with, uh, first of all, maybe a struggle in, in, in a relationship with you. Father, I pray that if anyone is, is here and, and, and surely, surely in a crowd this size, there are some here that, that need to turn to you in repentance and in faith and, and enter into a, re- a relationship with you. Father, I pray that by your spirit that you would give grace to do that, that you would open the eyes of hearts to turn to Jesus and trust in him alone. Lord, certainly there are burdens here in this room that need to be given over to you. Lord, would you give your great grace to your people right now to do that? Stuff that we're holding on to. Lord, give us the grace to cast those cares upon you. Knowing how much you care about us which is seen ultimately in the work of Christ and his death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. You can be counted on. You are faithful. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. 
I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.